This podcast is brought to you by Talbot County, Maryland, the birthplace of Frederick Douglass. Visit frederickdouglassbirthplace.org to begin your journey into his life. Driving tours, history, and Douglass in his own words at frederickdouglassbirthplace.org. And we're back again, and we're going to be talking about Daniel O'Connell and his influence on Frederick Douglass. Could you begin, please? I can. I think the best place to start is to explain to your audience who Daniel O'Connell was. Daniel O'Connell was an Irishman born in Kerry, down the south of the country. He was born to relatively wealthy landed people um, down in Derry Nan, which is at the very, very southern part of the country. Um, they were Catholic, but because, and he would have been born at the end of the, I can't remember my dates now, the end of the 18th century. And he would have been born and reared and spent a lot of his life under the penal code. And I had spoken to you about the penal code before this, where Catholics were not allowed to hold positions in the judiciary or position positions of power or prestige in many of the professions. They were not allowed to carry arms. They were not allowed to be educated. Um, they were not allowed to practice their religion. They were very, very strict uh, set a code of laws. And but Daniel O'Connell's people were wealthy, relatively wealthy, because they were also smugglers, and they had um, trade their own smuggling. I was going to say trade links. They had smuggling links with France, um, and they had connections with France. And because of this. Uh, Daniel O'Connell was actually educated in France. So um, he would have left Ireland as a young boy and continued his education in France. Now, this is actually quite important because he was educated in France during the French Revolution. And he actually found himself in the middle of one of the riots um, that took place around France at that time. And because of the brutality and the violence that he lived through in the short time that he spent there during the French Revolution, <clears throat> for the rest of his life, he was adamantly, adamantly anti-violence. He abhorred violence and spoke against it at every opportunity. He left France very quickly during the French Revolution because it was obviously too dangerous to, stay, to live there. And he went to England and continued his education there. He's, he's Yeah. He became um, a solicitor, a lawyer, um, and he practiced in Ireland. He was a very famous lawyer, a very brilliant man in defending um, his clients who were normally Irish. And he did a lot of pro bono work. He did a lot of um, hardship cases and desperate cases. And he was a brilliant orator, a brilliant mind, very flamboyant um, and, was, and was revered by the people. And the respect he gained from the Irish people, he earned step by step, particularly on the 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 as in his role as a lawyer, as a solicitor. No, he was a tall man, a dark curly hair, quite a strong man, a wonderful speaker, a great orator, um, and apparently he used to speak with his hands across his chest. He didn't use that many hand gestures. He just stood there with his hands across his chest, but he could use the power of his voice. Mm. Um, to incredible effect and he was considered to be one of the greatest orators of the century of oratory he and Douglas so he was well known for that now he was a constitutional nationalist 
And by that I mean he believed that we should have our own independent parliament in Dublin and we should have autonomy over our affairs. He wasn't that interested in breaking the connection with England or removing ourselves from under the monarchy. That didn't concern him so much. He didn't think that far ahead, I don't think. Instead, he was more interested in, okay, the first step is get our constitution, have our parliament, take care of our own affairs. And he would have said um, that, actually, I, I bring this quote in, I have a quote in my head, but I'll bring it in, in, in a moment. So that's the context of O'Connell, um, revered by the Irish, a great solicitor on the, on the, on the, 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 on the circuit, but he was also a doer. He was also an achiever. <clears throat> he um, he stood for Parliament in County Clare and won, which was unusual because at the time, if there was an election, um, people who were entitled to vote had to raise their hands. So it was a, you had to declare who you were voting for. But people were prepared to stand up and declare that they were voting for O'Connell. So he won his seat. However, he couldn't sit in Parliament because he would have to take an oath of allegiance to the Queen um, and he didn't want to do that. <clears throat> However, why did he want to take a note to the Queen if, if in fact, he's, he did not want to fight against the monarchy? It would have been against his religion, the way it was framed. Oh. Actually, well, you might cut that bit out because I'm not so happy with, with going down that road. Okay. So, um, he became an MP and as an MP, he believed that Ireland needed emancipation for her Irish citizens. And by that, I mean they should all have the right to vote because the Irish Catholic was not allowed to vote. So he fought for that. It was a, a long and arduous campaign where he actually set up um, groups around the country where they, they gathered the Catholic rent, where he, people gave a penny um, or whatever they were capable of giving to pay to finance this um, this endeavour, his endeavour to, to, to grant Catholic emancipation. Now, he did that. He, he achieved Catholic emancipation. However, he was disappointed because Catholic emancipation was granted. However, the government changed the rules in that people who had, um, who paid a certain level of rent um, or had a, who owned, no, people who owned a certain amount of property to a certain value, they were entitled to vote, but they raised that threshold. So a lot of people actually lost their vote. So he was quite upset about that. And I, I often think of Douglas when I think of this, because even after the Civil War and even after the slaves got their freedom, because of and, and and even though there was reconstruction in the south, I think Douglas was unhappy with how that worked out. He had hoped that things would work out better, that people's lives would have been better. And sometimes I see that parallel, where both Douglas and O'Connell achieved a great thing for the people that they wanted to advocate for, and yet they were disappointed that why well, it's almost as if you were, they were given with one hand, but it was kind of half taken away as well. So I always find that a striking parallel. <clears throat> now back to O'Connell and Douglas. Would Douglas have known about O'Connell? Yes, he would. Because Douglas or O'Connell was um, an incredible advocate for anti-slavery. Even though he was full-handed in defending the Irish as a, a solicitor, 
in defending the Irish as a member of parliament, in achieving Catholic emancipation, and then in, in seeking to find, seeking to achieve repeal of the Act of Union, um, even though he had these incredible projects, he always found time to speak against anti-slavery. And he, he often spoke about anti-slavery at Dublin meetings. During meetings that would have nothing to do with anti-slavery, he would bring that topic into his speech. So he and he often spoke against slavery as a member of the British Parliament. Um, so in a way, it's possible that he could speak against he would be anti-slavery and it would be in a way against the monarchy who brought it on. No, no? he spoke. He could refer specifically to the American system. He didn't use it as a metaphor or an, as an, an analogy. He spoke about the American system. Actually, so much so that he made a habit of, if he was introduced to an American gentleman, before, if they put, if they offered their hand, his hand, if the American gentleman offered his hand to, sh to shake his hand, Douglas would often say, um, do you own slaves? Are you a slave? Older. And if they said yes, then he would not shake their hands. And the American ambassador comes to Ireland and he refuses to shake his hand because he was tainted by slavery. Yeah, he stood on that principle. Now, I, I, I think that shows a genuine um, appreciation of, anti, of the anti-slavery cause. And I think that in I think that while O'Connell was a strategic politician and very capable of making alliances in the British Parliament to further the Irish cause, and quite possibly he may have used anti-slavery to that end, but when you see his writings on anti-slavery and when you see the position he took on anti-slavery, it shows that he was guided by the principle. Frederick Douglass was among the most famous Americans of his day, an internationally renowned author, orator, and statesman whose words and deeds helped shape the modern United States. His journey began in Talbot County, Maryland, which honors his legacy with the Frederick Douglass Park on the Tuckahoe. Other locations throughout Talbot County commemorate his birth, childhood, and return trips as an adult, during which he was hailed as a hero. Visit frederickdouglasbirthplace.org to begin your exploration of his life. You'll find free historical information and the full texts of all three of his autobiographies. Driving tours through small towns and the countryside help you follow in the footsteps of one of the most significant figures of the 19th century. Douglas once said, What is possible for me is possible for you. To celebrate that possibility, plan a trip to scenic Talbot County, Maryland, which welcomes travelers to experience more than 600 miles of coastline. Go to frederickdouglasbirthplace.org. In 1840, there was the world's first anti-slavery convention at Exeter Hall in London, and it was attended by Garrison came over and several of the American several of the American abolitionists came over, including Lucretia Mott. And the ladies were not allowed into the convention. They were kept outside. And O'Connell, who was invited to the convention and, was, and spoke at it, was unhappy with this. And he, along with Garrison, sat in the balcony beside Lucretia Mott because they were unhappy with um, the fact that ladies were not in, in, allowed into 
But they the were allowed into the balcony. Into the balcony, but they were not into, allowed into the body of the room. And they felt if we were, if we were part of the anti-slavery cause, we should be allowed the prestige of sitting in the room and not in the wings. And for our listenership, that is a parallel to how the African-Americans in the United States were not allowed to attend they couldn't worship in the same churches. Uh, oftentimes, they would have to go upstairs to the balcony. Mm. <clears throat> they were not allowed in the pews with the white congregants. Right. <clears throat> so, Douglas would have heard. Douglas was on the the circuit at this stage. He was speaking in abolition. He was going to abolitionist meetings in America at this stage. So he would have heard of Douglas, or he would have heard of O'Connell. Now, also after that world's convention. Um, Richard Webb, Allen and Houghton, the three, three principal abolitionists in Ireland, organised the address to the people, to the Irish in America and asking them to speak against, to stand against slavery. Do you remember we spoke about that earlier on with the yes. 60,000 signatures? Yes. Daniel O'Connell signed that, Father Theobald Matthew signed that. Right. Douglas saw that in America, yep. would have heard conversation about it and would have known that the, he did not achieve the outcome that they had sought, that the Irish in America rejected it. He would have known this. So he would have been, he would have had knowledge of the, uh, the, the, the abolitionist circuit in Ireland, the complexities of the Irish relationship with anti-slavery and the, the person of Daniel O'Connell. He also says in his later writings, Douglas says, that he often heard his northern mar- ma- his his slave masters cursing Daniel O'Connell. Mm, mm, mm. So, epithets hurled against him. Exactly. So Douglas would have been familiar with O'Connell before he arrived in Ireland, but he also knew him as a great orator, and he was very keen to hear O'Connell speak in Dublin. No, the first he saw of O'Connell was he saw O'Connell walking down Sackville Street near the bridge in Sackville Street. And he writes beautifully about this. And he writes about it as towards the end of well, yeah, towards the end of his life, Frederick Douglass wrote Thoughts and Recollections of a Tour of Ireland, and that was published in 1886. And he he said of that, he says he he speaks about encountering Daniel O'Connell in this text. Now, this text is very interesting, actually, because Douglas wrote this text to advocate for home rule in Ireland, where the Irish would rule, have their own parliament um, in Dublin, because even by the 1880s, that still had not been achieved, even though O'Connell had sought repeal of the Act of Union. It had not been achieved before his death. It was not achieved afterwards. And Douglas in the 1880s wrote advocating home rule in Ireland. And in that text... Douglas speaks about seeing um, Frederick, or seeing O'Connell for the first time. He speaks of how how he speaks actually quite beautifully um, of O'Connell, and I'd just like to take a quote here from this, from this book. No, actually, I have I even though we're here in the house, I couldn't put my hand on my own um, copy of Thoughts and Recollections of, of Tour of Ireland. And I'm just taking the extracts from Lawrence, Lawrence Fenton's book, Frederick Douglass in Ireland, The Black O'Connell. So I'm just quoting from Lawrence's work here. <clears throat> there goes... Oh, yeah, a second. I will start... 
up here. Wrapped up in a long dark coat cloak to keep the late September chill at bay, O'Connell walked at a rapid rate towards the Great Hall. There goes Den, there goes Den, shouted a squad of ragged little boys following behind. The great men beamed upon the ragged urchins with a look of overflowing affection and delight as though they were his own children, greeting his coming to his home after a long absence, Douglas recalled. A more beautiful and touching picture. It was. It has seldom been my good fortune to witness. And that's what Douglas says many years later of his first sight of, of, um, of O'Connell. And he continues to say, With all the rest of the world, I had heard much of Daniel O'Connell as an orator and as the great man of his country. I had heard how he could sway and control the feelings of his people, how he could move them to mirth or tears, how he could rouse to fiercest indignation and wrath, how he could, in the open air, hold the attention of 20 and even 30,000 people. Still, I made allowance for enthusiasm and exaggeration and tempered my thought accordingly. But a few sentences of this man's deep, rich, musical and most miraculous voice, as it swept over the vast multitude, uttered without effort, without gestures, with arms folded upon his deep, broad chest, dispelled all doubt of the vastness and grandeur of his power with his people, and indeed with any people who might come under the spell of his eloquence. And that's what Douglas said of O'Connell in 1886 as he recalled his trip to Ireland of 1845. And I have to interject here, when Douglas writes about the urchins and being on the streets, it reminds me of his writing about Baltimore uh, and the learning. But it, it's just very reminiscent. Yeah, I think the, 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 word, the use of the word urchins yes. coming up again, it's, it's, I suppose um, it's an unusual word to our ear today, so, so it, it captures our imagination. So <clears throat> Frederick Douglas got an opportunity to experience O'Connell in action. O'Connell was talking in Conciliation Hall, which is where the repeal meetings were held in Dublin City. Frederick Douglass was allowed in. He heard O'Connell speak, was amazed by him. But what amazed him more is even though O'Connell, O'Connell's subject for the day was repeal of the Act of Union, during that speech, he spoke against slavery in America. He did not know Douglas was in the audience. He did not know a slave, fugitive slave was in the audience, but he spoke about anti-slavery. He spoke in the cause of anti-slavery and that impressed Douglas enormously. Douglas, made, Douglas and his friends made their way to the top of the room. They, they got talking to John O'Connell, who was uh, Daniel son. O'Connell's son, um, and a bit like his kind of manager um, who took care of Daniel O'Connell. And John insisted that they meet Daniel O'Connell. And even though some people had started to leave the meeting at that stage because the meeting had concluded, Daniel O'Connell called him up onto the stage, introduced him um, and said, you know, this is the black O'Connell. He introduced Frederick Douglass as, as the, the black, black O'Connell. O'Connell. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. At first meeting, he would mm-hmm. call him that. The black O'Connell. And Frederick Douglass cherished and valued that encounter and that recognition and was able to use that um, in his in his speaking and in his writing in years to come however 
it is made more poignant by the fact that he was always disappointed at the fact that the Irish did not stand by anti-slavery. But regardless, the fact that the leader of the Irish Catholics would turn to a man he had never met before and immediately say, you are me. Yeah. Uh, and that that's really very poignant. And Douglas very quickly came to realise that if he introduced O'Connell during his speeches, he would immediately be cheered. So he was quite adept at referring to O'Connell in the course of his speeches as he made his way around Ireland. That's so beautiful. And thank you so much for sharing the leader of your people. (laughs) And... I think a leader of our people uh, in a union that's just quite beautiful. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening. Please go to my website, carlyleschesapeake.com, to hear more in our series about Frederick Douglass. This podcast is brought to you by Talbot County, Maryland, the birthplace of Frederick Douglass. Visit frederickdouglasbirthplace.org to begin your journey into his life. Driving tours, history, and Douglas in his own words at frederickdouglasbirthplace.org.